So the big question is this, how do real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base? How do we conservatively grow our real estate business to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race, and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. Greetings and salutations, Real Estate Undergrounders. It is Ed Matthews again with the Real Estate Underground podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm always looking at different asset classes and places that are thriving. Obviously, this is a rapidly changing world and a rapidly changing market. I'm a multifamily guy, but there are other asset classes out there. And my friend Adrian Smood has been kind enough to join us to talk about his mobile home investing business. So Adrian, welcome to the show and thank you so much for your time today. Good to see you. Ed, I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, man. Uh, Good to see you. One of the things that I'm fascinated by in terms of your business model is you hear about all these folks that are buying up multi, or um, excuse me, um, mobile home parks as fast as they can possibly find them. You're in the mobile home business, but that's not what you do. You want to tell everybody what you do? Yeah, exactly. People think of a few different things when they think of mobile homes. One, the mobile home park, like you just mentioned. Right. And that is a good business. It's got lots of zeros that are real sexy, but it's gotten pretty competitive. Just like the multifamily space that's in the multifamily space, it's just a different structure. And to real quick talk about those, even though that's not the business I'm in, there's two main ways to run a mobile home park. You can own everything, all the homes, the dirt, absolutely everything. You own a flat apartment complex or you can own just the dirt. So you own a big parking lot and everyone pays you a monthly lot rate, park their home there. But another way that you can invest in mobile homes is owning just that home. You don't own any dirt at all. So now the park manager gets to make all the rules and I don't really do that anymore. Both of these are no longer in my vision of what I want my business to be. Okay, I have something in the middle. So I own a single unit, an individual mobile home with the dirt. So it is a real estate transaction. It's a homeland package, we call it, but I own the home and the dirt together. And I get to make all the rules and all the cash flow. Control and cash flow. That's uh, really attractive. So what drew you into this? This is a very specific niche, right? So I'm, I'm fascinated by the, I'm interested to learn more about how the heck you found out that this is, a, this is the spot you wanted to plant your flag and grow your business. Let me back up and tell you real quick my story because it'll sure. make a little bit more sense how I got here. I live in central Florida in between Tampa and Orlando, and we are the winter strawberry capital of the world, Plant City. Yep. And we have hurricanes here. I started my investing career as a very bad tenant. We had spaghetti wrestling parties, mud wrestling parties. Oh, yeah. one of my dream residents. Thank you. All right. Yeah, yeah. you don't rent to 20-year-old Adrian at right. all. But that forced me to gain, getting evicted over and over to find something else. So I bought a house, your typical ranch style house, moved all my friends in. I finally found out what the landlord has to deal with whenever right. we were the terrible tenants. Fast forward a little bit. I bought a second house, but that one was at the top of the market with the adjustable rate mortgage, losing a little bit every month. I think everyone knows where that story is going. I ended up giving it away a few years later as a short sale. Ding my ego, my credit, brought back some childhood memories. But that is a key part. So let's just fast forward. I bought some more single families years later. And then that feeling came back. I couldn't make any money. The numbers weren't right. I didn't know all the right ways to run all the numbers. And I thought we were at the top of the market over seven years ago. Extremely wrong, right? I have 
there's not many people have been more wrong than me in the market direction, but that forced me to look for something different. And I heard some of the old school investors, guys and girls talking about this mobile home thing. And I was yeah. like, no, we have hurricanes here. Yeah. And eventually I said, you know what? I'm just going to buy one and check this thing out. The cash flow was so much better. I have since sold off all my site built homes because I'm a cash flow investor. I can eat my cash flow. There's not as many people in this space. It's competitive. It's not competitive. Sorry. And the cash flow is what I'm after. Because again, I I just say it over and over. I eat cash flow. I can't eat equity or it runs out. Right on. I percent agree. And when we're looking at a the potential for a recession, I would submit we're already in a fairly light one. And if if the economists that I pay attention to are to be listened to, which I think they are, the we're in for a, a dip and to be determined how big a dip, but it's a dip. And it's a healthy cycle, right? But the cool part about cash flow is that's what saves your bacon in a recession. And it's why real estate is resistant to the Ups, ups and downs of the economic cycle. So tell me about the deal structure. I used to flip houses and back not that long ago, actually. And you buy the house, you fix it up, you either sell it off or you rent it. And, but the economics are different because I'm buying a house that the price point is probably a multiple of what you're paying for your mobile homes. So I'm curious how that works. And I'm also curious when you turn around and rent them or flip them, how does that work in terms of returns and things like that? So you can fix and flip mobile homes. I don't know how to. That's my joke because I've literally done one and it was a mistake. I'm not a fix and flipper, but I got a good friend, Mark Bracey, and he is a fantastic fix and flipper in the mobile home space. Think about it. We're the affordable housing space, not just for the rent, but for the sell. You bet. So right now people are buying their payment and right. the interest rates went up. It's much more difficult for those. So now people that really weren't after a mobile home, they're like, ah, maybe I will because I can't afford anything else. So demand's gone up there. You would run a fix and flip the same way as any other house. Okay. There's some differences that you do need to understand because the loans, they look for a few different things in the skirting and the tie downs. There's, there are some different rules, but how you would run your numbers, as long as you know all the information, it's the same. So at an entry point, I live in the Northeast. I live in Connecticut. In my area, the average home is, I call it 340 grand, which is expensive. What's the price point in Central Florida for mobile homes? I'm, I'm curious. I actually own some that are rentals that are close to the 300 range. Okay. So they can retail about what you're saying, 350. Okay. Uh, Mark texted me the other day. I think he'll be finally sharing it. He's like, I accidentally made 90K net on a flip. Yeah. Because he runs his numbers real conservative and the market kept going up because the demand has risen in them without, he didn't make that in. But yeah, it sold over 300 and he's in Jacksonville for it. Okay. So they can retail there. Yep. The one behind me for the people that are checking out the YouTube, this one doesn't retail anywhere close to that. I hope It's probably worth 40 grand-ish. Okay. But it's under market rent at $740 a month. Yeah. So mobile homes rent for similar price points to single family homes. Yeah. So the rule of thumb that a lot of people like to use is they take off about $100 for the competitive, the comparable type of home. Okay. You know, just the class of homes. Yep. In reality, in today's market, we know that there's not much housing. Us as the housing providers actually have the upper hand. So we do push rents a little bit, but I run my numbers conservative. So if I think, 
I can probably really put an ad out there and hearing tip for 1800. I run my numbers at 16. Good. I always run a little conservative because I'm not going to repeat that cycle from the past of not being able to pay my bills. Right on. But you're right. They can rent really close to the exact same price as a house or sometimes more. And when I say more is because people don't realize when I have that acre of land and that mobile home on it, the three bedroom, two bath, people are like, how's someone paying and why would they pay $2,100 for that? Because they're renting the three bedroom, two bath house and the acre of land. Right. People value that. And sure. Everyone that's in the big cities don't always realize that there's a lot of value to someone to live on their private land and be able to bring the utility trailer there and everything else, a workshop and don't have neighbors or HOAs to worry about. Yeah, we learned that in COVID, right? I, we had so many folks here in Connecticut. We had so many folks moving out of the big cities, Boston and New York, and moving here to the country and the same thing. And it really drove prices. It was ludicrous. Fun while it lasted. But okay, so so tell me about a little bit more about your business. Obviously, you're the more the more we're talking about this, the more it sounds like a traditional rental business, right? It's almost a burr, right? You're buying it, you're rehabbing it, you're making it clean and safe and beautiful, and then renting it out to folks that are looking for this type of home, right? Yep. And you left off the last part because we don't usually refinance them. Financing is a tricky thing in the mobile home space. Let's just split mobile homes up into two categories. Let's look at the 1960s and the 1970s. There's not financing. No traditional banks are going to finance it. I always joke around about this one behind me that Bank of America is not going to finance this 1960 that comes with most of its siding. Most. But I am making payments on this. Okay. How's that work? Financing to me on the older ones is a very simple topic, but it's big because I've never financed two properties the exact same way. This one I have owner financing on. Okay. Owner financing has not been that difficult for me in the mobile home space because it's very well known. No bank will finance this. It's not a secret. There's nothing. I don't get that pushback. And then obviously private money would be the other avenue. Okay. And then, you know, that can be a little challenging to people that aren't very experienced with private money because your private money lender not only has to be comfortable doing that, but then they have to be comfortable with this mobile home. There's two levels there. Then let's look at about, we'll say the 1990s and newer. Okay. Those, you can get bank financing. Okay. You're really going to look at the credit unions and community banks, and then you can eventually get to the traditional bigger banks, Bank of America. I actually, Chase, I know, used to do tons of mobile homes. I'm not sure they currently are. Yeah. But it is possible. And in the 80s, a mix. Uh, most community banks will still do that. For owner occupants. Okay. I like to split it up in those two categories. Okay. So question about that. So the difference between the two, the two types of mobile home financing, what is the difference? Is it is the assumption that the ones that were built in the sixties and seventies are just fully depreciated and there isn't much left? Or what is the bank what is the bank why don't they finance something that's fifty years old? Because I'm fifty three and I'm still in pretty good shape. So assume that the mobile homes that were built when I was born are probably doing okay too, right? You're right. We can rebuild any of these and take sure. care of them. Depends on how well you take care of yourself, the yeah. shape it's in. Yeah. But there's real one reason that's the biggest is there's a key date, June 15th, 1976. That is a year that HUD basically had to step in and say, we got to make a standard for these things. They used to be made out of toothpicks, is what my joke, and literally the 
walls and stuff were extremely thin and there wasn't actual law the quality so that year is the year so they had the aluminum wiring beforehand so they're not as safe and they're just was a lot west every state built them a little different as well that makes sense so that is the biggest reason that the banks don't go further than that now you still got to bring them all up to code to a certain quality for that bank yeah so i don't know anyone that is able to fix and flip say a 1978 to a profitability because it's got to become up to the same standard yeah, and the amount of money you put in it Right. No one really wants to buy it. There's less comps because there's less of that happening. So right. it's, it is more challenging. Now that doesn't mean you couldn't owner finance it to someone. And as, as well, obviously a Dodd-Frank still is in the mobile home space. I don't know why people think it's not, yeah. but it's in the mobile home space as well. You gotta be a good boy. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Now I understand. So thank you for that. Um, so I'm curious. And I'll put, yeah, fire away. I'm sorry. Actually, I want to add one more thing. This is a benefit. Once we learn this stuff, now we can get a better price because most people aren't going to do everything we just talked about and learn how to negotiate the owner financing and actually not so much to negotiate, let the seller know how it's beneficial to them. And if we can do all that, we have an edge up on everyone else that doesn't want to do that work and spend time to build that rapport. So we get a cheaper price because also we don't have as many exit strategies. So the one reason the ROI is so much higher because we have less competition and we're able to serve the person better. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That's that's an interesting play. So in terms of managing the business, what do your systems look like? How, do you use just a, a commercially available property management software? Do you have a team that manages your residents in terms of paying the rent and work orders and all that? Like, how does that work for you? Really, most of our residents take care of the properties. We set that expectation before going in, but obviously we still have to do some work. Yeah. It's not like move in and and never call us again. That's not me. Nice, but yeah. yeah, we do look to attract and serve the community that are handy men and handy women. Now, I do have some site built homes that I master lease. So I lease it from someone else. But I manage everything the exact same way. But most of our residents are handy men. So that's their job every single day. So they don't call me when they have a light switch that's out because they're an electrician. Yeah, they just For, fix it. A lot of the small stuff, they're just like, I could fix it faster and call you. Right. But then there's always things that we need to repair. I do have an office manager now. I'm very fortunate as I decided to to grow and really more than that, go on the road and teach everything a little more. She takes care of that side of the business. I just naturally grew. Software-wise, we're using Trello right now, which is not good. She's switching us over to something. She's literally doing that research now of what we're going to switch to. But I started doing this with an Excel spreadsheet. It wasn't the best way. The numbers weren't the best, but I made money. Yeah. The fact is that the, I, when I, when we first started buying up in Vermont, right, we had a whole bunch of properties up there in, in Rutland. And the gentleman that I met that was, we ended up not hiring him, but not for this reason. The gentleman I met when I asked him, how do you manage your properties? And he pulled open a huge ledger, handwritten in pencil. And that's how we manage it. And I said, okay, how does that work? And he's, I've been doing it this way for 40 years. So I was like, all right, it obviously works because you're still doing it that way. And the folks that worked with him spoke very well of him. So he was obviously good at his job, but, but I'm curious about the types of systems. Like we use a tool called Hemlane, which I I really, but I, we can talk about that offline. So in terms of the, in terms of growing your business and scaling your business, what's the kind of, where are you and what's the ultimate grand plan? What's the empire look like? I don't see myself ever stopping buying. There's always people that need help. 
I enjoy the business. I'm not the big Grant Cardone. I need to do a hundred deals a year. I'm more like, let me average out four really good deals a year. So last year I bought two. This year I should buy six, my averages. Right. And what am I really doing now that I have most of the cash flow I want? I am focused on some cash flow so we can get some better systems like we were just talking about. Yeah. Because those cost money. And I want to pay Joe, my office manager, more. That's one of my big goals. I asked her, what are your personal goals in life? I can help fulfill them. And then besides that, what does it look like? I don't want 100 units. What I want to do is as I get a better quality property and quality for me, is it's going to attract good residents that's going to take care of the place and stay a very long time. And then the structure, what most people think of quality. I want both pieces. Yeah. I get one of those and then I sell off something like behind me that is not a very good structure. It's not going to attract the best person in the world. I'm just trading up as I go. And I'm buying, actually, when we get off this call, I'm going to, to a closing and it's not a very nice property to be assigned to but it. it will be. What I can do now where I'm at in the business is I can find a younger investor that has a few deals and he's done something, he's hit him or her shown me what they've done. I can now owner finance it to them. Yeah. I had some mentors that did that for me. Now I can make good money helping them out. They don't have the money necessarily or can't get the financing. It becomes a win. Sure. And I actually got to do that with my second property I ever bought. It came from one of my mentors. He gave me a fantastic deal. I made great money for years. And now I re owner financed it out to someone else. I'm but just continuing down. to help. He's yeah, making good money forward. on it. Someone's living there. Everybody wins, right? Because you pay it forward. You give someone who's a few years behind you the opportunity to cash flow. And you get to take that capital that you've, in terms of appreciation, and flip it into something else. 100%. That's yeah. exactly yeah. it. I get it. In terms of like how we talked about your business now, so let's talk about you. So how do you uh, take in information? I, I always say that leaders are readers, right? And But reading today is different, right? It's not just, it's not just a book, right? It's not just the paper book. It's audiobooks, it's Kindles, it's video, YouTube videos and podcasts and a whole bunch of other things. So I'm curious, how do you sharpen the saw? What do you and I'm also really curious about who are you paying attention to these days in terms of authors or creators? The only one I don't do of your list is the Kindle version. So I'm not a very good electronic reader. So I read a physical book in the morning and that's a mindset book. I listen to podcasts all the time. I am a very big Hal Elrond fan. I have listened to all 450 whatever episodes he has. Yep. And so he's the Miracle Morning guy. Oh, yeah. I listen to audiobooks. I am this year focused more on doing less content absorption, but more actually doing the stuff the book says to do. Right. The end of the chapter has something. Yeah. We usually just listen to him. We're like, okay, that's nice. I have not gone on to the next chapter in some books, which admittedly I'm a few months behind because I'm not allowing myself to go to the next chapter until I take action on what they said. Yeah, man. But it's not a race, right? You do it. Yeah. So you read the way I read, right? It's you read a chapter and you get a couple of really good ideas from the author or, or the podcast or whatever, and we'll stop. We're going to implement that. We're going to make it work. And then, okay, let's do the next thing, right? Because I found that I have a pretty profound case of entrepreneurial ADD and that whole shiny object thing. I'll read this book. And I used to, the way I used to do it was I'd read a book and then I'd read another book and then I'd read another book and then I'd read another book and then I'd be like, all right. What did I just learn and how do I implement it? And I'll be like, I don't remember. I've learned from just losing out on those uh, opportunities to implement 
do exactly what you do, which is really smart in that it's you read something, you get a gold nugget, and then you turn around and use it and then proceed. So there's two other ways. And I thought of it from what you just explained is mastermind groups. I'm in two and I run one. And then I go to actual seminars in person. I do the Zoom world some, but I like the in-person because the energy and we can really connect. You can only get so much out of a Zoom call, right? Yeah. Something though, I started last year and it's been working pretty well for me of where I'm at today is when I hear something, I'm like, that's one of my nuggets. I'm looking for two to four nuggets. Yep. Same. I almost ignore everything going on for the next five or 10 minutes. I get into my CRM or whatever I'm going to do and I put it to work right then. I assign it to a VA or at least I assign it to myself because if not, I leave and I start driving or traveling and then I forget about it. And then I, I literally have some books right here from six months ago that I haven't taken everything out of it. Yeah. But if I can do that with three or so things, at least it's in the works and someone else on my team, because I give them permission to call me out. Sure. Hey, you have a task that hasn't gotten done. So they're holding me, me accountable. But that's what I decided to do. I'll just miss the next few minutes of whatever the speaker is. And it's been working for me so far. That's great. Yeah. When it works, rinse and repeat, man. Okay. So if, let me ask you this, having done this for as long as you've done it, if some guy in Connecticut waved a magic wand and said, okay, you can, you're going back to the beginning, right? You can take everything you've learned, but nothing else. What would you do differently if you had to start over? Is that, do I have money? Nope. No money. Okay. Just the knowledge. All right. So if I started over today with no money, I would do master leasing. So I would go to someone like you and say, hey, aren't you really tired of managing all your stuff and you're tired of those late night calls? Let me professionally manage them and I'm going to sublet them out because you can get in for pretty much no money. You can control the property. Uh, I have a few of those. It's worked for those owners. I would also probably look at the mobile homes inside the parks because Mm -hmm. they require a lot less dollars to get in. Now there's more time and you don't have that control and I've done really well. They were fantastic for my growth. Yep. And then I would slowly be building up because I have my network, my knowledge and network. Yep. I think I would grow really fast because I would say, hey, Ed, I know you're in a multifamily. I'm not really good at that, but I just got this lead. Can you help me out? I'll bring you in the deal somehow. Right. I would use my network and leverage that, bring anyone into the deal that I needed to bring in to get it done. And that's how I would start over. I am. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm sure our audiences as well, because one of the things when I talk with folks, either at local meetups or whatever, it's one of the three things that they always get stuck on is I don't have any money. And my answer is always exactly what you just said. You don't need money. You just need creativity and resourcefulness. And as, as long as you can put a deal together that, that pencils out, invariably you can find somebody or a group of somebody's who will help you get it done. Right. Yeah. So one of my big mentors, Peter Fortunato, yeah. he talks about it. He's got this house. People should go and Google Peter Fortunato house and you'll see the little copyright on the bottom. And it breaks up everything that real estate gives us. And his goal is to find out what do you need? You might need the cash flow and appreciation. And he takes the rest. And at this point, he's not as picky as what he gets. And but if you're growing, all you need is cash flow. You need someone that needs appreciation. Mm-hmm. or needs a depreciation tax write-off, being able to split it up like that. I actually have his house hanging up on my wall, but it's always in my mind. What is the other person really needing? Yeah. And can I compliment them by my needs right now? 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of the old Zig Ziglar quote, if you help enough people get where they want to go, they will in turn help you get where you want to go, right? If you solve people's problems in a way that works for everybody involved, creating that win, it makes it a lot easier to do deals. You sleep well and you actually make money doing it, right? Couldn't agree more. Cool. Hey, so I'm curious about, I'm still curious about you in terms of how you operate. So when you're not slinging mobile homes and fixing, making them beautiful and renting them out and all that. What do you like to do outside of real estate? What's fun? I do love real estate. And I've, one of my coaches actually today helped me realize that I probably spent a little too much time in the business because I love this. Yeah. What do I do outside? Nature. Nature is one of my recharges. I love going hiking. Actually, in about a month, I will have cell phone reception for about a week. I'm going to the Glacier, the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone. I, I love doing that. I love... Ria's real estate groups. That's one reason one of my coaches helped push me towards the education. He just can't stop you from going there. Why don't you just start sharing there? Never thought of that. So I get recharged at those traveling. So I fit everything within my vision. So that's where the education fits in. I get to travel. I pick the areas I want to go. But travel and deep conversations and nature are probably three of my top recharges. Like what I just really love doing. Yes. That fills my bucket. Right? It gets you cooking. That's awesome. Yeah. Adrian, I know you have a book and I admittedly haven't read it yet, but I will read it now that I know that you have one. And if folks are interested in learning about you or your business or picking up your book, what's the best way to make that happen? How do they get a hold of you? So the easiest way to find my book and all my information, my book is How to Buy Mobile Homes. And you don't even have to read it now. It's on Audible. Sorry, it's not on Audible just yet. I'm waiting for the approval. But I, I read it. So you have to listen to this voice for over two hours. That's all right. But if you go to adrians360.com, it's basically a landing page. It has links to my books there. It has links to all my social media. It has links to my websites. So my buying website as well, even though I only buy in my little area. But use that as a resource to go on it, find what you like, recreate it and make it yours. That's how my website was created. I went to a bunch of other people's. Absolutely. Everything I have is on that adrians360.com and connect with me through whatever channel you use, except yeah. for the phone. My don't listen, I don't answer the phone. It's my phone's been on do not disturb for a few years. Yeah, me me too, because it you'd spend you could spend days returning phone calls. Excellent. Hey Adrian, thank you so much for your time today. It's really good to see you, my friend, and continued success. And I'm looking forward to seeing where you take it next. And I'm also looking forward to reading your book. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate right. you having me on here. Good to see you, buddy. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us grow. Until next time, happy investing.